you're listening to season four of This Nazarene Life, stories of young Nazarene clergy and their role models. This episode is sponsored by Young ClergyCon West, happening October 17th through 19th, 2019 in Palo Alto, California. These have been life-changing gatherings for me. I've met new friends, I've been reunited with old ones, and I can't wait to see you there. You can get more details and tickets over at yccwest.eventbrite.com. Today on the podcast, we have Reverend Kat Wood, lead pastor at Ashton Church of the Nazarene in the United Kingdom. Thanks for all you do for young clergy, and thanks for tuning in. Welcome back to the podcast. I'm Britt Bullerjack, and I'm here with my guest, Reverend Kat Wood. Kat is the pastor of Ashton Church of the Nazarene in the United Kingdom. Welcome to the show. Hi. So the first question I ask everybody is, how did you end up in the Church of the Nazarene? Um, so I've only ever known really life in the Church of the Nazarene. My um, mom uh, didn't grow up going to church, but my dad did. Mm. Uh, they met at high school and uh, started dating. Uh, it's kind of funny when my dad invited my mom to go to church with him uh, for the first time. She was like, well, I, I can't go to church because I don't have a hat to wear. And he was like, no, it's okay. You don't need a hat to come to church. Like, it's fine. <laughs> um, <laughs> but um, I was born in, um, in a coastal town uh, called Great Yarmouth. And uh, my dad and mom went to a Baptist church there. And then my dad uh, moved because of his job. So he moved about an hour away uh, mm. to a place called Thetford. Um, and there wasn't a, a Baptist church nearby. They didn't have a car. So um, kind of transportation wasn't, wasn't easy. But just uh, the gate at the end of our back garden was on top of a hill. And at the bottom of the hill was a Church of the Nazarene. Mm. And, um, uh, you know, my mom and dad never heard of the Church of the Nazarene, but they got in touch with their um, Baptist minister in great yarmouth and they were like you know there's a church in the nazarene at the bottom of the road like are they okay is it a cult (laughs) you know can we go there and um and he was like oh no i've heard of them you know like they're fine you know Mm. you can go there so that was it really that's when i was two um and so i've been a part of the church of the nazarene uh ever since uh, really so that's it that's a great story so um tell me from there kind of how you ended up being a pastor so I grew, I grew up in the church. I was always, you know, a part of church. I went to kids clubs and, um, you know, Sunday school uh, camps and youth camps and, and things like that. Um, and uh, was involved with things at a local level, at a district level. Um, my mom, um, my mom actually became uh, a pastor when, well, she started her um training her education at the Nazarene Theological College in Manchester mm. Didsbury mm-hmm. uh, when I was nine years old oh wow um so we as a family when I was nine all moved from Thetford to Manchester that's about four a four-hour drive mm. um and uh, so I lived in Manchester while she was she was studying at NTC to be a pastor um and then four years later um she graduated her first church was at a church uh, called um Bolton Brownlow Fold Church of Nazarene uh, mm. in Bolton, um, about 20 miles outside of Manchester. 
Uh, and so, but when I was about 16, I, um, I got a job um, when I finished high school. So in the UK, when I was at school, it's changed now, but you only were kind of legally required to go to high school until you were 16. Mm. And then you could either do two years further education that would prepare you to go to university um, or you could leave and get a job or do an apprenticeship or something mm. like that. Yeah. Um, so um, I was 16. I'd finished um, high school. Um, I was going to college uh, to do my A-levels, um, but I got a job at the same time. And I got this job and I started working on Sundays. You know, and at first I was like, oh, well, you know, I'll work Sundays, but I can still go to church Sunday evening. Mm. Um, but actually that was kind of the beginning of this just time away from from church uh, and time away from uh, Christian living I guess like mm. it wasn't so much that I like I didn't have a kind of crisis of faith you know in a sense that I I always believed that God existed you know I believed you know that Jesus was his son and that he died for me you know that the Holy Spirit kind of you know enables us to um, to live uh, as Christ-like people all that kind of stuff there wasn't really anything within that that was rocked or that changed yeah I just um I guess I just wanted to do things my way I was mm. like I can still believe in God but but do all these things over here that I want to do you know why do I have to go to church uh, you know church isn't important it's you know believing in God that's important yeah um you know why do I need to kind of um follow these rules and live this way and you know really make decisions that are constantly harder than just doing what you want to do you mm. know when you're trying to kind of follow God and do what he wants you to do <laughs> yeah um and um and so yeah so from the ages of 16 to kind of 20 um I was just away from away from church didn't go um and did had a little rebellious phase um uh, you know the whole kind of sex drugs and rock and roll thing uh, for a while and um but then I knew um I knew that I needed to go to go back to church like I mm. knew actually that God had just created me for so much more than than what I was doing and the way yeah. I was living and it's like I kind of got to this point really where um I had a decision to make which was either I don't believe all of this stuff you know and therefore it doesn't matter what my life looks like but actually if I do say that I believe in God that I'm a follower of Jesus you know um that makes a difference like that should look differently and so yeah. either I kind of came to this fork in the road where I was either going to walk away from faith altogether or you know I needed to start taking it seriously um mm. and um you know and it isn't enough to just say that you believe something um there's there's actions that follow that right like yeah. you know it's not enough to just say I believe this is true because actually if you really believe it's true then it impacts on your life on your decisions mm. on what you do on on how you live and all that kind of stuff so um so I went back to I went back to church during this kind of four-year period I would still actually go to the district youth camps Mm. um you know just either just for a visit like just for a couple of days or just to meet up with some friends that had uh or relationships that I'd still maintained um and it was kind of and every year when I would go there you know there would always be this huge pull from God you know where he was just mm. like what are you doing you know like this isn't what I mean for you you know I love you um 
and uh, and I think maybe it took me a while to really kind of fully grasp and understand what it means to know that God, you know, our creator um, sees me and knows me and loves me. So mm-hmm. I went back to church. Uh, at the time, I was actually studying ancient history and archaeology at the uh, at the University of Manchester. Oh, wow. I know, you know, I was going to go to Egypt and find mummies and, you know, <laughs> like deal with ancient curses and things like that. Dig for buried treasure. No, I am... Um, uh, that's, but I, I just finished my first year and it was kind of in the summer to my first year and second year that I went back to church mm. and, um, and I knew that God was telling me that I needed, um, that I needed to, uh, quit that program and go mm. to NTC. And, and again, like deep down, I think I knew for a long time, really that God wanted me to be a pastor, but I just really did not want, I did not want to be a pastor. Like that mm. was it. I was like, you know, I came up with a million reasons of of why I shouldn't be a pastor. You know, I don't know enough and, and you know, just my experiences and some of the things that I've been through. I was just like, no, you know, you've, you've got the wrong person. It was very kind of Moses-esque. I was mm. just like, send someone else, send someone else, you know, send someone else. Yeah. Um, but um, but I, I kind of gave in gradually. So um, I spoke to um, Deirdre. She was my pastor at the time. Because um, when I went, started going back to church, I lived in Manchester City Centre. So mm. I went to the Longside Church of the Nazarene. Mm. And um, so I spoke to her about this kind of whole whole journey. And um, and she agreed, you know, she could see this kind of calling on my life as well and gave me my local license in the church. Um, I took a year out to get my finances in order because I'd got Mm. myself into a real like financial mess a lot of debt Mm. um just through bad choices and um you know like plastic money isn't real money right right right. (laughs) um and so I took a year out uh, and had a job full-time so I was just getting more involved in the in the church um uh, during that year and preparing to start NTC um in the, the next academic year so that was in September 2006 Mm. and kind of from then um you know god is just he's affirmed that calling like i now know that he you know he built me made me to be a pastor like i can't Mm. imagine uh, doing anything else even though sometimes i do imagine doing something else because it's hard yeah you know and i'm like oh you know wouldn't it be easier if I did this and if I did that and actually you know I'd just be an amazing lay person like mm. <laughs> like let me you know go and do something over here um but um just constantly throughout you know so I don't so although there are times I guess when I kind of doubt my ability and I still sometimes look at where I am now or I find myself and wonder you know how did I get here or why am I the person that's kind of in this position mm. you know of leadership and responsibility actually just God has affirmed continuously this call that he wants me to to be a pastor you know that this call to love people um you know as he loves us and yeah and so I just trust and follow on a daily basis (laughs) you know and hope that um that he knows what he's doing Mm. you know when he when he calls me and kind of asks me to do this so yeah so that's it really so the NTC I graduated in 2010 mm-hmm. um, my first pastorate was at a church in Dewsbury I was the associate pastor there I was there for four years and then I left there in 2014 
and became, uh, at first I was the associate pastor at the Ashton Church, the Nazarene. Uh, and then about 18 months later, I became the co-pastor there at the church. And then um, in October last year, uh, so 2018, I became uh, the lead pastor of of the church there. Mm. Tell tell me about Ashton. What's the what's the church like there? Uh, Ashton, um, I mean, you know a little bit. You were there for a while, yep. but Ashton, mm-hmm. the town, it's um, it's it's in a it's an urban setting. Um, mm-hmm. It's in a poor uh, area. They have a lot of um, issues around. Um, substance abuse um just poverty really actually and just everything that kind of goes that goes along with that Mm. um there's issues to do with housing uh, affordable housing as well as kind of homelessness Mm. um there's a lot of um mental health issues uh in ashton um a lot of uh issues that are associated with um people um just people in poverty you know so the kind of the education level of education isn't very high um um there's a lot of family breakdown um Mm. you know crime um is quite high Uh, and actually where the church itself is found um is in a place called saint peter's ward that's like the district that it's found in Mm -hmm. and it's in the um one of the poorest uh 10 percent um in the uk um yeah so but the church itself it's this little kind of people often describe it as this little i don't know kind of haven of peace i guess Mm. so we're on like a main road uh, in the town center but a lot of the buildings and shops are derelict they've closed um there can be quite high turnover um in terms of the businesses that are on that road um there's some old like abandoned nightclubs Uh, that you know have trees growing out of them and you know they no longer have a roof and and stuff like this and then you get to our building at the end of the street and there's this um little garden um you know that is looked after and just kind of shows all signs of life and color um Mm. you know and you kind of walk through the garden and straight in front of you is is the door that goes into our um, coffee shop it's called fresh ground that's open on thursday and friday um, you know, and then to the left is the door into our main our main building. So, mm. so people kind of, I guess, associate it with um, with this kind of little, I don't know, oasis. I guess you know, in the kind of town centre where there's quite a lot of brick and, and it doesn't really look like it's flourishing or growing. Now that's starting to change. You know, there has been, um, a lot of kind of work done in terms of trying to invest into Ashton and the town centre and to change the you know the perception of it um and things like that um but ashton was always kind of designed to be poor if you like so it's to the um west of the city and so because mm. of the way the wind blows that's where the pollution the smell like that's where everything kind of mm. goes so right from the beginning um it was just designated to be an area for for working class and for mm. for poor people and so you know that's what it's been like for generations. Um, and you can really see the effects of that. Mm. Yeah. What's the, what's the church like? What are the people like? We have, um, it's a multicultural church and uh, multi-generational. Uh, we have about, um, I don't know, between 90 and a hundred people that come um, on a Sunday 
-hmm. for worship over two services. So this was a change that took place um, almost a year ago. So last September, we had a, a morning service and we had an evening service. Mm. And our morning 1030 service was very uh, kind of family friendly. That was our larger service. And our evening service, um, you know, you would get usually, you know, on a on a good day, maybe 25 or 30, um, mm. but sometimes kind of 10 to 15. Sure. And it was a lot of um, like repeat people, if you like. So mm. it, there wasn't a lot of kind of new uh, or different people that came to the evening service. Um, and um, we commissioned a group um, from the church. It was Carl McCann and his wife. Um, he was um, he was the pastor of the church. He'd been there for 13 years. Um, he recently left in March and has become the district superintendent. Uh, and um, But him and his wife and another couple in the church went to something called Forge Training. And mm. that was just, it was, it was this kind of year-long program that helps you think about how to be missional and maybe how to do kind of a new work or something different in your community and the oh, wow. result of that was that we decided to instead of having a 10 30 service and a 4 30 uh, 6 30 service we now have a 10 30 service and a 4 30 service and so both of the services are kind of family friendly mm-hmm. and um and we commissioned um about 30 people to step out of the of the 10 30 service and to become the kind of core um core team uh, the core group for this new 430 service um and uh and yeah you know and in doing so uh you know we've seen this kind of slow steady growth um both uh congregations uh, are doing well like it's the same um both services follow the same like preaching plan it's usually the same person that preaches in the morning they preach in the afternoon like mm-hmm. a repeat uh, sermon but there are different worship groups different people involved in the in the other stuff that goes on on Sunday at those two different services um and um, but yeah we get about between 90 and 100 weekly um across the two services um we're multicultural uh, we have people from kind of uh all over the all over the world um we've recently seen a kind of increase in refugees uh, mm. that are coming that are coming to the church um and um yeah and we have we have just a range of different um needs we have some people who uh you know are kind of middle class uh you know educated employed uh, and then we have some people who you know are at the other end of the scale so it's just it's a real it's a real mix at ashton and uh you never really know what you're going to get or what's going to happen when you come when you come on a Sunday. Sometimes there might be, you know, drunk people in the church who kind of heckle you and, uh, <laughs> you know, and make for quite an interesting worship service. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you just you don't you don't know what's going to happen. You don't know what you're going to get. But in the midst of this, Ashton is this really. Um, beautiful glimpse uh into the into the kingdom of god Mm. and just to see the the beauty actually that happens when you have a bunch of people from all different places and all different backgrounds with lots of different experiences who who come together you know and some of them you know are not yet christians some of them have been christians you know for decades and um but we all gather together and and we kind of worship and there's this real kind of strength amongst brokenness that you see and this um 
beauty in this kind of unity amidst just vastly different circumstances mm. um and so i really uh yeah like i really i really i really love it um as a church you know if kind of slick perfection i don't know like kind of uh, professional performance kind of church is what you're after then don't come to ashton <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> um but um but yeah, I'm just always amazed actually at what God is doing and how he is working and, you know, the transformation that has taken place in people's lives as mm. they just continued to be shaped in, in his image, you know, as they continue to kind of learn and find out who they are in him um, and what it means to be part of a community where there's just lots of people all, you know, on the same journey of trying to be Christ-like and trying to live, you know, a kingdom life in a world that is just broken and uh yeah and not uh, and far from you know kind of what it was created to be initially yeah but in a really good way yeah i love that it sounds amazing it is amazing mm. i've been there yeah um so tell me kind of you mentioned sunday and you mentioned the coffee shop kind of tell me what a, a week in the life of ashton church of the nazarene looks like what's what's happening around there yeah, we um so there's a charity uh called New Hope and um this works with people who have kind of life skills issues. It's kind of developed and evolved from when it was first set up. So a guy called John McNeil who comes to our church. Mm-hmm. Um and uh, he he worked um for the uh for the police for a long time. That's what his career was. He was a like, chief inspector in the police. Hmm. And um, our church has always been known for working with um, the those on the margins. Yeah. Um, so way back in the kind of history of the church, uh, when it was first kind of set up, it did a lot of work with prostitutes. Um, hmm. This is going back decades. Uh, did a lot of work with prostitutes uh, in the area. But now um, we're known for um, being a church that's open and welcoming and involved with um, the homeless community. And uh, so we did, we would do a meal, um, for, for homeless people. And it, and John was one of the people that, uh, headed this up, uh, but it quickly became aware that actually as important as it is, you know, that these people get food, you know, cause they do need that, but it's just so much bigger than that. And yeah. actually the, the help and support that is needed to help them, um, you know, improve their, their lives, uh, and achieve, you know, and achieve their own kind of goals and what they want, mm. um, became really evident and so he took a year career break um from his job so he took a year off from his job and he set up this charity called new hope and it was set up to work with those who have substance abuse um, issues and they would help them with numeracy literacy help them with job searches Mm. um help them and to find accommodation if they were homeless um they would do kind of cooking lessons and just life skills things that this is how you you know, kind of keep a tidy house and this is how you do laundry and just, you know, all those kind of things. But Mm -hmm. it was this wraparound kind of care, I guess, um, in that Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, there was this, there was this place where they could come for six hours and they knew that they were welcomed, that they were loved, that they were supported, um, as well as given really, you know, kind of practical and needed, uh, help as well. Uh, And so that still continues to this day. Um, and it, it's kind of changed, it's expanded a little bit. And so they work with um, 
not just those who have um, issues with uh, drugs or alcohol um, or other addictions, uh, but they also help people who maybe have um, uh, just difficulties with kind of socializing and things like that. Um, and so what they do is they want to um, find out what it is that the people that come would like to achieve and then they kind of support them and help them work towards achieving that. And for some of them it is housing, for some of them it is, um, you know, to be free from addiction. Uh, but for others, um, you know, it's things like they'd really like to budget and be able to go on a holiday, you know, and so we mm. help them kind of, you know, do that and look at their, and uh, yeah, and, and just help them and support them and work towards those kind of goals. For some of them, it might be um, that in the midst of just chaotic lives, you know, that they've um, had children taken away from them. And so mm. we help them um, work, you know, with the system to be able to regain contact and, and sometimes visitation uh, and things like that. And then other times it's, asylum seekers and refugees um, who need help with English, who need help just to understand um, the benefit system over here and what they need in order to get access to housing and, uh, you know, and to look for jobs and things like that. So, and that still goes. So that's, that's Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. Um, and then Thursday, Friday, our coffee shop, Fresh Ground is open. Um, and that's uh, volunteer led. Um, and we get a lot of people from the community that come in uh, and use that space on a Friday. That's our kind of, um, I guess, family ministry day. So in the morning we have um, like a, a parent, a toddler group, a play group. Mm. Um, I, don't know, I don't know if you'd call it something different in the States, but basically for children before they go to school, so kind of not to five-year-olds, mm -hmm. this is a, a space for, um, for their uh, parents or carers to come with them. Yeah. Um, and just to play, you know, and to meet other other parents and other carers, you know, and and raising kids is hard and, uh, yeah. and stressful as well as, you know, a joy and a blessing. Um, and so it's that kind of support and care uh, for them. And then we actually had um, uh, a 10 year celebration of Happy Tots um, mm. about a month ago. And it was this like glorious sunny day. And so a lot of what we were doing was outside. We had a, a bouncy castle outside um, and kids were in the garden. And it was one of those moments where um, I was stood, um, I was stood in the garden and I was just having a look at what was going on. And we had people there of different faiths, of no faiths. Um, we had people there from different countries, different cultures. Mm. Um, there were people there from different kind of economic, um, you know, backgrounds. Uh, and it was just this, to see them all kind of hanging out in community, celebrating what this, um, this Happy Tots parent and toddler group had done kind mm. of for them uh, over the past 10 years. So we had current parents, we had parents that had previously kind of come, but their kids were older now, but they came back to kind of join in the celebration. Mm. Um, and actually during it, so maybe I'll speak a little bit more about this later on, but we bought a building a few years ago. One of the abandoned nightclubs was mm. um, ne next door to our building. Mm -hmm. uh, and so we purchased it. Um, and the vision for that is to, um, the bottom floor, we will turn into like a larger kind of uh, worship space um, for us. Uh, and then the top floors, it depends on how high we can go. We want to turn all of that into accommodation. Uh, mm. that can be used for emergency accommodation 
Um, and then our current building can continue to be used, you know, for all of these different things that we do in the community. Yeah. And, um, and so I've been working with a guy from the council who's kind of, who, who's in property development um, and trying, one of his jobs is to try and get rid of empty buildings, you know, and, and see them transformed into other things. Mm. Um, and he actually came to meet me just to, to give me an update on something. But he was then, you know, this kind of non-Christian who works for the council, uh, just got this glimpse into what it means to be a part of the Ashton Church, the Nazarene community, mm. I guess, you know, in whatever shape that means. That doesn't mean, you know, that you necessarily come on a Sunday or even that you're a Christian, but actually to be a part of our community and what we do. Um, yeah, in, in, you know, in the location, the geographic location that we find ourselves in, um, which is really lovely. Um, then on Friday evenings, we have a kids club and then we have a youth club. Uh, and then around that, our building is just used a lot by the community. So we have um, NHS groups that use our building. We mm. have um, like a martial arts group that use the building. There's another charity that works with people who are trying to get free from alcohol addiction. Mm. So they they rent space in our building. Um, there's another charity called Refugee Action. They use our building. You know, and some of these are regular weekly bookings. Some of them, they kind of book it for sessions at a time, depending on what they're going on. Um, but our building's used um, 24-7, really, like every day of the week. Uh, there's something mm. going on um, yeah. in the building. Uh, and some of it's uh, kind of led and run by people who are also a part of the worshipping community. And, and some of it is led by um, other people who are a part of the community. Mm. So it's busy. Uh, there's a lot. There's a lot happening. Um, I mean, just this summer... Um, We've had a couple of working witness teams come and help us with our social housing project. Um, we had one from the Louisiana district and one from um, Olivet Nazarene University uh, Campus Church. Mm. We've got an intern with us at the moment from Trevecca Nazarene University. Mm. Um, and we had a working witness team come from a church in Australia as well. Wow. Uh, in November. Yeah. And, um, and one of them, uh, uh, a guy called Thomas, he's 19. And he really wanted to stay. And so um, we, he stayed for six months extra. And he actually just left on Monday this week wow. um, to go back home after uh, coming and spending six months with us and volunteering with us. So it's kind of funny. Like, I do think it's kind of strange that this you know, Ashton Underline, which really is kind of a nowhere, you know, it's a nowhere place um, mm. in Greater Manchester. And then there's this church kind of, at the heart of it where there's all this like international <laughs> like mm. multicultural you know kind of multi-faith interaction that's going on there um but to me that's just a real a really positive view of actually the kingdom of god at work um mm. you know where it's planted uh, and where it finds itself i love that i feel like i feel like i could just listen to you talk about it all day um Tell me more about what it looks like to be a pastor at that kind of church. What What is life like? What's the day-to-day and week-to-week like? Um, what are your challenges? Well, maybe I'll – maybe let me just ask one question at a time, shall we? Um, <laughs> t- tell me about kind of the everyday goings-on of, of being a pastor there. Okay. So I think maybe I'll – 
maybe I'll start by telling you how I ended up as kind of lead pastor of the church because that oh, in yes, itself please. has been yes. a bit of a a bit of a well a, a huge journey really I think of of trust and mm. um and so I came to Ashton in May 2014 mm-hmm. as associate pastor um and uh the guy I was pastoring alongside a guy called Carl McCann um he um is a great strategic visionary leader like he knows how to kind of set a vision and and move it forward and a lot of what a lot of what I've been handed if you like um in terms of the church and what it is and what it looks like um was was done under his kind of leadership and his um pastoring uh, of the church Mm -hmm. now I've been a part of that for the past for the past five years um and my strengths are very much on the relational um relational side of things mm-hmm. um so carl's very uh task oriented and i'm very people oriented and we work mm. um really well together uh, as a team and when we became co-pastor that's kind of the shape that it took so we were kind of equal equal um you know pay equal authority but different responsibilities so mm. his was still the strategy and vision of the church um and mine was uh to do with the um pastoral and community work um Mm. of the church and so that's kind of the way it was it was split and then um over the last two years maybe two and a half years i just had been feeling this sense from god that i couldn't quite um i couldn't quite shake really Mm. about that it was time for me to to step up in my leadership that it was time for me to be the one that that kind of that shapes and leads um mm. the direction you know the dna the the community of a church out of who i am uh, i mean more importantly who i am in god you know when god called me to be a pastor it wasn't to be a pastor like anyone else it's because you know he wanted me cat wood uh because of who i am because of my experiences because of you know, how he made me and created me, um, that he wants me to be a pastor and a leader in, in his church. Mm, and so that. it was this challenge um, to step up um, and actually do the kind of vision strategy, you know, the, the steering and shaping of a, mm. of a community um, as well as the, the relational um, people stuff that I was doing. But, yeah. but very much kind of, with um and under the direction of of someone who someone else who was very strong in that particular area and i resisted this for a while like i'm definitely um a reluctant leader um <laughs> some of some of that kind of stems from you know being bullied like when i was at school and mm. just you know self esteem issues and identity issues and things like that and yeah. i guess just faith in in my own um ability um but clear as anything I just heard kind of over and over that actually this is this is what God was was calling me to do Mm. and um and it wasn't specific to Ashton you know if I'm being honest it wasn't like I want you to be you know lead pastor of of Ashton Church of the Nazarene but it was it's time for you to be you know the pastor kind of Mm. in that has oversight or that you know kind of 
does the vision and strategy stuff as well as as well as the um relational and community stuff mm. and um and so i ended up having a conversation with Carl and there were other things going on at the same time and so Carl had been thinking about whether maybe his time at Ashton was drawing to an end um, um anyway he'd been thinking about that um and I had a conversation with him where and I will stress you know that actually this was a really healthy conversation and me and Carl have a very good relationship but ultimately yeah. I said to him um you know this is what I think God is saying to me um and actually I think it's time for me to take on that kind of lead pastor role mm-hmm. um, and that's not going to happen here while you're here and so I said to him you know like I'm, I'm I wasn't like precious over staying or going but I did need to know either way so I was like if you are you know if you do think your time is coming to an end and you're going to move on you know then I would you know stay here if the church will have me but if not that's fine too but actually that means I'm then going to be looking for this opportunity somewhere else at a different church sure um and um so we had this conversation and we and we prayed about it um and there were there were other things happening in the life of the church there was a lot of change you know this was all happening around the same time that this decision to go to a 10 30 and a 4 30 service happened mm, yeah and it was kind, kind of like a I mean it wasn't a church plant but it was this it did give us a good kind of taste of what that might be like and the sure. the problems as well as the um, uh, excitement, you know, that goes with that mm-hmm. um, as we, you know, commissioned these, this, this, this group of 30 people to step out of the 1030 service and then commit to come into the 430 service instead. Mm. Um, so lots of different things going on. And in the midst of that, um, Carl did, you know, yeah, did agree that his time as pastor of Ashton, um, you know, was coming to an end and he, he didn't actually have anything in the pipeline for what would be next. Um, but so we, um, and just before this, so one of the reasons I was quite, um, reluctant, I guess, is that a couple of years ago, I'd had a bit of a, um, a bit of a moment where I just found pastoral ministry um, just overwhelming um, mm. and felt like I, like I just, I couldn't kind of carry on like with the way that it was. So mm. uh, my husband, Joseph Wood, um, I think he was actually the first person you ever interviewed for, uh, yeah. for this Nazarene life. That was I, a while ago, wasn't I it? I re-listened <laughs> to that this week and it's as jaw dropping now as it was then. I just, yeah. it was, yeah, he's great. And, um, so he, he, um, works at NTC, mm-hmm. uh, in church resourcing and as a lecturer in, um, uh, church history, uh, mm-hmm. historical theology. And he was at the global theology conference. I think it was in Florida at the mm-hmm. time. So he was kind of gone um for i don't know i think it was a week or so or just over a week and um and so being um you know both parents working full-time um having we've got two girls who are now three and a half miriam is three and a half and evelyn is seven um and so a couple of years ago they were younger Mm -hmm. and um you know so there was this week where it just felt like it was too much Mm. and i had this kind of moment where 
I said to God, you know, I said, I know that I'm supposed to be a pastor. I do. And I'm not questioning that, but actually, can I just do it in like 10 years time? Like, let me just, (laughs) let me just like, you know, raise my girls or, you know, it just felt like everything kind of all together was Mm. too hard. The funny, the funny thing that set it off actually was, um, I was, you know, something really simple. I was trying to organize Evelyn's birthday and what we would do for her birthday. And so, um, I was sending some dates to Joseph while he was away and saying, you know, we could, and and actually it was, it was hard to fit it in our schedule, you know, Mm. something, you know, that, that should be celebrating the part of life. We're like, Oh, we can't do it this day because of this thing at church. And we can't do it that day because of, you know, I'm working and I can't do it. We can't do it this day because of this, you know, and it was just this kind of busyness. And um, so I was like, okay, I found a time where we can do it. We can do it on this day. And Joseph was like, yeah, yeah, that's fine. That's fine. Um, And then he came back to me the day after and there was something he hadn't put in his diary and he'd been asked to go to a, um, like a theology um, summit, like a leadership summit um, on fatherhood. And uh, so he was, he was like, he was like, oh, you know, I might not be able to be at our daughter's birthday. (laughs) I need to go and give, you know, um, some teaching, some kind of theological Mm. teaching on like fatherhood and what the Bible says about that. And it was kind of, (laughs) It, it was funny uh, and and I will say in the end he didn't go he got in touch mm. with them and he said you know actually it's my daughter's birthday and I'm not going to be able to come and he yeah. I think he recommended someone else to go instead mm. but it was just something really quite small when it's on its own but when you yeah. added it with everything else it really felt like I was just at this point where I, I was just like this is too like it's too hard and it's too much and just trying to do you know normal life like my parents had moved actually back so my mom is now the pastor of the Thetford church which Mm. is where we first became Nazarenes um so that's like a four-hour drive away and all of Joseph's family are in a you know live in America and so that kind of support we do have a lot of support from people within the church um but it just I don't know everything just felt too hard and it was too much um and so you know I, I I prayed to God about it I ended up sharing it with our house group so I lead a house group and I you know and our house groups are they're not just for bible study it's this idea that actually it's a when you have 80 to 100 people that are part of a church it's hard to to really um sometimes get the support and pastoral care that you need within a group that big so we really stress and emphasize the importance of house groups within our church we have eight different house groups that meet during the week mm. and um and that's where people can you know ask for prayer they study the bible together um they do community projects together kind of you know within their own smaller uh, house group and uh and i remember sharing with them the same thing we've been studying john as a church and in the house groups and i was telling them how this message that i'd got from god kind of over and over again as i was reading god was kind of trust me trust me you know do you trust me like mm. you need to trust me just this this real push on on trusting him and Mm. so in the midst of this you know feeling like it was just too hard to do everything that I felt I needed to do in terms of a mother a wife um you know um a Christian a pastor um you know I have non-Christian friends and non-Christian family and what does it say to them when actually your your um role as a pastor means you're too busy you know to actually Mm. spend time with them like it's really just all of these different kind of responsibilities that often feel like you're being pulled in lots of different directions 
Yeah. And uh, so again, this, and this was all happening in the midst of God saying, you know, <clears throat> so me saying, God, I don't think I can do this anymore. And his response was, well, actually, I think you need a bit more responsibility. <laughs> I think what you really need, <laughs> mm. you know, is to, is, is to do this. So it was, it took a while, um, but I did surrender. And I did have to come to that place of, you know, again, it's, I say, I trust you. And so I need mm. to trust you. And if this is what you're asking me to do, you know, I need to trust that you know what you're doing more than, more than I do um, sure. and that actually you know in those moments and places and times where I just feel weak and incapable um, you know actually you are working in me and through me and around me and mm. um, yeah you know and just kind of trust that I guess um, in my pastoral leadership so all of that to say you know, Carl announced that his time as pastor of the church was coming to an end and um, and the church board recommended me to be um, the new um, pastor of the church, the lead pastor of the church. Um, and there was a vote that took place and they voted, they voted me um, in. Um, it was a really positive vote, which was really mm -hmm. affirming, uh, very encouraging. Um, and then actually Carl stayed on as my um, associate pastor. Mm um until he left at the end of march uh, and became district superintendent uh, oh, wow. of did, our district so did he know when this whole transition is happening did he already know that it was a possibility that he might be elected to district superintendent or how did that so everyone knew that the current district superintendent was stepping down so at our yeah. last district assembly which would have been in march 2018 mm -hmm. um he announced that he was going to be stepping down. Um, and so we all knew that at the assembly this March, um, that there would be a vote, there would be a vote for the new district superintendent. And if you want another little, I don't know, insight, the, uh, mm. the two people that were up for election for district superintendent was um, Karma Khan, you know, who was my good friend. He's been very influential in my um just in my journey um you know and we were colleagues and friends for the past uh five years and then the other person who they were voting for was my mom <laughs> so <laughs> that's incredible so yeah that was that was kind of funny uh, but I yeah carl it. um it took about eight ballots and carl got elected um and he is he's he's doing a good job he's really thriving in that in that role um yeah at the moment mm. so it's good that's awesome but that yeah that's how I became that's how I became lead pastor of the church but I still have um I don't know my kind of I guess I'd always thought that the, my first church that I would be um kind of either solely in charge of or lead pastor of you know would be something quite small you know and I could mm. I could build on um yeah, you know, like build on the people that were there, you know, we can kind of figure out together what it what it means to be church in that community and in that space and place. Um, and so now it still, it still can feel overwhelming when I think, you know, I'm actually lead pastor of one of the, you know, the biggest churches on the district and, mm. and it's a church that it just, it does so much, like it's so busy yeah. and um, all, all in good ways, you know, and for good reasons and, and making a real impact in our community. Um, you know, and I also took on like a million pound building project 
when, yeah, wow. when, when, when I did that. And I don't even own my own home. Like I could probably hang a pr- picture, but it, like I couldn't guarantee that it would be straight, you know? Mm. And now it's like, I'm having to meet with architects and structural engineers and city planners and, mm. you know, um, building developers and stuff like this. That is just another one of those things where, you know, I do have, have these moments reasonably regularly where I'm just like, how did I <laughs> yeah, like and end up here? doing yeah. these doing these things um mm. but um but yeah I mean like that's what um so that's kind of how I ended up as as pastor as lead pastor of the church and um but what does pastoral ministry there look like uh I mean I suppose well I imagine it looks like what it looks like in other places mm. you are doing the best you can with what you have you know, the resources that you have available to you, which includes buildings, it includes property, it includes finances, but it also includes people. It includes um, uh, just that you constantly kind of see the needs in your community mm. um, and are trying to think about how you can help and how you can be involved. But at the same time, also not wanting to like overwhelm or overstretch people in your church that are already, you know, um, busy and already really giving of, you know, time and resources um, and things like that. Um, And so it's really trying to seek what God is doing um, Mm. and how we can get on board with that, you know, and complement that and, Mm. and how, so at the at the at our church AGM in February, what I said to our church was I said we've just had this year of kind of phenomenal change. Really, there's a change mm-hmm. in leadership. You know, we've changed our our um, services. We've gone to two services, and change always kind of um, well, it brings problems and it brings um, and it upsets people as much as it kind of excites people you know it's just yeah. it's just true it's just personalities we're we're made differently and some people thrive on change and hate it when things are the same for too long and other mm. people you know they do not want anything to change yeah. ever um and we are a church that is genuinely loving and welcoming you know and they and they miss each other now that they're not seeing each other you know like as they were mm. um and so it's kind of in the midst of that trying to work with but actually the kingdom of God has always been about bringing those in that don't belong elsewhere. It's always, you know, it's always been about going to those who are kind of furthest away um, and telling them the good news, you know, of Jesus Christ and that that does make a difference, you know, to them and to their life and to who they are. Um, And, and the impact of that and it's you know and it should never be about um keeping those who are already saved if you like safe you know like actually yeah. um we're called to go we're mm. called to extend the same grace that we're shown we're called to love people as we've been loved we're called to to share the good news that we have with those that don't know it um mm. and so yeah and so it's just about in the midst of yeah it's about trying to figure out what our role in that is 
you have mm. to be careful to not think that you're the only church or the only people that are doing it and God, you know, is relying kind of solely on you and, and this congregation. But actually, what is our part in this, like, epic, you know, amazing story of God that has been going on since the beginning of time, you know, mm. and will continue after us? And what is our, our place and our role within that? And how do you, how do I empower and equip and enable those who are a part of Ashton Church the Nazarene, mm-hmm. you know, to be able to to do that as well? Yeah. Oh, I love um, that so much. Yeah, and lots of challenges. You know, we're, we're in a we're in a poor area, um, but again, I think I tend to see the kind of the beauty in brokenness. Maybe um, mm. I never I can never ignore the brokenness, sure. and I'm often um moved and compelled to act by it but just as a little a little glimpse so we had this um working witness team from um the campus church at olivet nazarene university and they mm. left um yeah they flew home this morning actually um mm. but they left us on thursday last week and the first day they arrived they came to the church and um we um fed them we had lunch together and then i was just giving them a little bit of a kind of introduction to who we are, what we do, uh, you know, Ashton as just a, you know, social economic area, that kind of a thing. And, um, and in the midst of this talk, um, a man named Gary walked in and Gary is someone who, uh, he's a heroin addict. He has been, um, a part of, of new hope, mm. um, uh, for a while, but actually we hadn't seen him, um, so far in 2019. Um, which, you know, isn't uncommon for people who kind of attend New Hope. They can kind of be around for a while and then vanish for a while. And then, you know, they'll, they'll come back. Mm-hmm. And, um, but he, he walked in as I was kind of describing what our church is and what it does. And he was, um, he was upset. He was talking to another girl who's a part of our church. Um, she's called Michelle. Um, and she's our pastoral administrator. Mm-hmm. Um, she's, from, she's from the Netherlands. And um, so those two were chatting at the back and he was, he was quite upset. And, um, and then they went outside to finish their conversation as I was taking this group on a tour of the building. So we're doing this kind of tour of the building and I'm showing them some of the work that they're going to help us do uh, and just explaining, you know, different things that take place. And we go out into the garden and uh, Gary is sat there with Michelle chatting. Um, and I, and I leave, um, I leave the group. Uh, to get their bags, we've got people arriving um, in cars to transport them to the hotel that they're staying at. So I go and sit down and I'm talking to Gary uh, and another guy called Ronnie, um, who's another um, addict um, who comes to the church regularly. And um, and so the work and witness team uh, carrying their suitcases out from the church to the cars and Gary uh, jumps up out of his seat and he's just like, can I help you with that? You know, can I help you with that? And so he... Mm. Uh, starts helping um carry the bags of the of the working witness team that have come to help us with our building and the the social housing and things that we provide through that you know and loading their bags into cars and you know what i mean it was just this kind of glimpse of um uh of those who i think we often um depict as as in need of our help actually being there and helping us right you know yeah and um and another another thing of that was 
for both working witness teams that we had, um, one of the one of the things that we did, we have um, we have a guy called Sami. He's a refugee from Iran, um, and he is a is a part of our church. Um, he became a member um, at Easter, and then there's a uh, a woman called uh, Miriam, and she volunteers in in fresh ground in our coffee shop. She volunteers to help improve her English. And she is also um, a refugee from Iran. Her and her family attend an Iranian church um, somewhere else in Manchester. Um, but when she, when her and Sammy heard that we were having these teams um, and I'd put up these sign-up sheets, you know, in, for people to be able to volunteer and say, when can they be at the church to help cook? You know, when can they have um, people from the team in their homes to eat? Mm. Uh, and different things like this and so Miriam and Sammy spoke to me and they said that they would like to cook um, an Iranian uh, meal um, you know for these two working witness teams when they're here mm. so one of the evenings they were here both of them sat down to this just beautiful delicious like um, uh, banquet of just mm. kind of traditional um, Iranian food um, wow. And there was something quite striking about it, particularly with the first group, just because at the time, you know, the headlines over here um, were to do with U.S.-Iran relations. Mm -hmm. And and um, and so the fact that actually we've got some Iranian refugees cooking food, you know, for some Americans and them all sitting down and eating around a table together, you know, mm -hmm. and laughing together and enjoying fellowship together was just something really... Um, just a glimpse into the kingdom of God, I guess. That's beautiful. And uh, yeah, so these are the kind of things that happen um, at, uh, at Ashton Church of the Nazarene. Hmm. I love that. I think the work that you're doing is so, so beautiful, so important. What advice would you have to a, a young person who is perhaps becoming a lead pastor for the first time, what would you want them to know? Um, what would I want them to know? I mean, from my own, my own journey, I would say um, you need to, you need to, you need to trust God as you, mm. as you take that step. I would say, um, don't rush. Uh, sometimes there can be this great rush to be the one that, I don't know, is kind of in charge or, or who kind of shapes um, a church, a community. Um, mm. But actually the stuff that I've learned in the, so what, I graduated in 2010, so it's been nine years uh, before I became the lead pastor of a church. And the stuff that I've learned um, from those that I've worked with has been invaluable. Mm. Um, I would say, I would say that you have to lead out of who you are, like as a person. Um, mm. cause if you try and do it any other way, um, it's just going to be like, it's already going to be hard. Like pastoral ministry is hard. Yeah. Um, and I mean, and you know, and I think I've said that a lot, like I do also want to say that it is, a joy and it is a blessing and you know and I wouldn't do anything else I couldn't see myself doing anything else um but but it is hard 
And so trying to then do a job that's already hard in a way that isn't true to who you are, Mm. like that just makes it even harder. So one of the things that I've um, had to kind of continually remind myself about um, and uh, is, so me and Carla, we're very, we're, we're different leaders and we're different personalities and we work differently and, um, And so actually, if I try and lead as Carl did, or if I try to just copy what he did, Mm. um, actually, like, that's just, it's not going to work. And sometimes it's not even about personality. It's about circumstances, too. Mm. So, um, so with Carl, Lauren, um, she was a um, stay at home, why a a stay at home mom. And, um, and so uh, you know, and she did a lot and she worked really hard. And so I don't want anyone to hear me say that being a stay at home mom is not working or hard work like yeah. it is, but just in terms of kind of the way that that released Carl to be able to, um, to minister in the church as he did is mm. different for me because me yeah. and Joseph both have, you know, full-time jobs. And yeah. so it's that balance of time that then has to come into play. You know, yeah. we both, um, have jobs that actually take up more than you know the time that that you're paid for or whatever that the hours you know that you're given Mm. to kind of do it in and neither of us do the job for that reason we do it because we love it and because it's who God you know made us you know it's our vocation Mm. it's our calling but you know so actually it's different so even just on a practical level if I try to do it the way he did like it's not going to work because actually his circumstances were different to my circumstances Mm. Um, and so you're almost kind of setting yourself up, you know, for a fall or a fail um, if you if you do it that way. And actually, I'm also someone who I really like I need um, space. Like I, <laughs> I actually hate to be busy. <laughs> and so and so that's another one of those times where I look at where I am now and I'm like, God, you know, it feels like you saw who I was and then you put me in a place that's the complete opposite to all of Mm. that (laughs) and um uh but it's it's finding out a way to do it that is that is true to who you are to your personality Mm. to the way you work the way you rest you know the way you lead the way you teach all that kind of stuff and I would also say it's really important that you uh, have a mentor that you Mm. have someone that you meet with regularly who can speak truth into your life who can pray for you who can um support you who can remind you of some of the things you know that you've said in the past when you seem to be kind of losing sight of it so I have two mentors that I meet with um Mm. regularly one of them uh is is kind of in the Nazarene world um and one of them is an Anglican minister a local Anglican minister who I meet with and so both um women in ministry um, and I, yeah, and I meet and we pray together and they ask me how I am and they make sure that I'm, you know, healthy and balanced mm. and they, they, and they do speak um, truth into my life and they do remind me of things that I've said in the past when they can kind of see me going off course. And, mm. uh, and so that's really, I would just say that's really important. You need that. Um, and then something that God has been speaking to me a lot about um over the past six months it has really caused me to look again at what it means um 
what strength and weakness means and what that looks like and actually how although the world would tell us that that is you know bad that it's negative you know that weaknesses are things to kind of I don't know be overcome and ignored that actually the bible often shows us that weakness is where God is seen most right and so I suppose it's um being willing to to try things and do things and to enter into situations or leadership opportunities that even if you feel like you know you're not equipped or you're not the person for it that actually if God is telling you that you are then trust him with Mm. your weaknesses as well as you know thanking him for your strengths oh I love that that's so wise well the last question I ask everybody is what is it that inspires you to stay in the church of the Nazarene what is it that's keeping you here uh, I mean I suppose um, I suppose there is a part of it that is this is the the church and the community um, that I've grown that I've grown up in you know this mm-hmm. is my this is my church family. Like a lot yeah. of who I am as a Christian has been shaped by the church of the Nazarene mm. um, and how I have seen God at work in and through her uh, in a variety of different ways. Um, I'm not naive. I've also seen some bad things, you know, that have taken place mm. or that are taking place within the church of the Nazarene. But I suppose the reason I am here and the reason that I that I stay um, is that we, by very kind of definition of being a Christian, we're people who are marked by hope and mm-hmm. resurrection. Yeah. And so I think as long as there are people who are earnestly who are earnestly seeking God who are being real about the circumstances and situation that they find themselves in. So you can't try and continue to pastor how, I don't know, people used to pastor 50 years ago because Mm. we're not 50 years ago anymore. You know, we have to be real about the situations that we find ourselves in. We have to be real about the fact that actually more and more and more of our pastors are needing to be, you know, bivocational, uh, you know, because, um, you know, and things like that and and some of that's choice some of that's need but I just I just think that as long as people are are earnestly seeking God and following him and being willing to to take the risks that come with following him as well as um, knowing when to kind of hold back um, that there will always be hope and a purpose and you'll always mm. see those glimpses of the kingdom of God that just remind you that what you're doing um is God's work in this mm. world you yeah. know that we're not doing it on our own um and that even though it might sometimes feel I don't know bleak it might feel as though you're not heard you might feel as though you don't know what you're doing um that actually we're people who 
were people who believe life came from a man who rose from the dead, right? Mm. You know, like as long as, as long as, as we can really grasp what the resurrection of Christ means um, and what his ascension and the, and the sending of the Holy Spirit means for us as joining God, you know, in his salvific purposes for this world, in redeeming it and restoring it in in turning that brokenness into these beautiful kind of moments and glimpses of what it looks like when, you know, when heaven meets earth, when healing meets destruction, when, you know, hope enters into that hopelessness, um, that there's hope, you know, that there is hope and purpose for our church. Mm, yeah. Um, and, uh, yeah. And then and the other thing is that I think, I think holiness is important. I think a holiness tradition that that at its roots is about taking kind of taking the holiness of God to those on the margins rather than trying to keep them out mm. is as powerful a message today as it ever was. And it's needed. Mm. Um, it's needed in our communities and in our world. It's needed in the church. Um, and so that's why I have hope and mm. um, I'm still in the Church of the Nazarene. It's beautiful. If someone wanted to get in touch with you, get a hold of you, um, ask you a question, talk to you more about something you've talked about, where could they reach you? How could they find you? Uh, my email address. It's um, katherinewood09 at gmail.com. And it's K A T H R Y N. Mm. So yeah, Catherine Wood09 at gmail.com. Perfect. Thank you so much for taking time out of your very busy schedule to to be with us. No, thank you for uh, yeah, thank you for the opportunity. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm.